so Godfrey, I left town this weekend. Uh, uh, first time all season. I'm way behind. I'm disorganized. I misplaced everything that I need for this podcast. I, I understand, you know, how you do this on, or actually, no, I don't understand how you do this on a week-to-week basis because I'm dying here. I host a podcast with someone who watches as much football as possible, and then I glom off of him and my other coworkers when asked about like large picture questions. That's pretty much how I do it. Okay. Did you have the experience that I have? By the way, I was on the road again this week too, so this will probably be the least informative episode of the year. <laughs> Did you have my normal experience where you were hyper focused on whatever you got to see in terms of like the game you attended, but everything else was a complete mystery until Sunday morning? Well, luckily I was on the West Coast, so uh, you know for the morning games, which kick off. 9 a.m. on the West Coast, which would take me 20 years to get used to, although it was actually kind of cool. Um, I got to yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah, I, I, it would it would never not seem weird, but it wasn't bad. So I got to see you know most of the morning games. I got we got to see good chunks of those afternoon games, um, and there really wasn't just a huge slate of the evening games this week. So I, I managed to I, I lucked out in that regard. Uh, I did miss the Fun Belt uh, extravaganza. Uh, Appalachian State, Georgia Southern on Thursday, but otherwise, otherwise, I think I mostly kept up with results just because of the time of the game. So uh, I'm going to ask you about your trip first uh, because I do think it, uh, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but it has more national impact than I realized because I was in a bar in Austin, Texas on Saturday night, and I was in mixed football company watching. There were sort of three or four prominent games on. Utah, UCLA, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and there was a fourth game I can't remember. Um, there was one passionate USC bro that was sort of standing in the middle of the bar. It looked like he was probably like an ex-swimmer like swimmer or like crew member, one of those West Coast healthy people sports, um, just living and dying with every play. And so I – ended up watching more USC Utah than any of the other games just because the fan was the fan himself was so impressive. And I've I've let's say crapped on USC specifically, but I I've like taken almost personal offense with the amount of preseason hype that USC gets on a certain <laughs> rotation. And it's it's kind of boggled my mind and I don't know, maybe it's like this inherent SEC country thing where I don't see any real you know, I don't see any difference sometimes with a USC and five or six teams in this league, but it all sort of hit me watching that US, uh, the, the Utah game, especially in the second half. They are really talented. They are just that much more pure, purely talented. It's a terrible phrase, but it's early. Um, I get it now. And I, I, I may have gotten it in the past and forgotten it, but what's funny about like Clay Hilton and Ed Ogeron and, and these – these games that USC plays after they've hired an abysmal <laughs> young head coach, when they have like a more experienced football coach and not a sexy name or an offensive mind that comes in and, wor- and worries about the football coaching part of like improving talent, they're really good. And they beat what everyone thought was the best team in the league. Well, I, I thought Stanford there. was the best team in the league. I, I do now. I definitely. I, I was sort of teetering between on, on Thursday and now just after the weekend. Absolutely. I mean, I've got Stanford in my playoff four there. I think they're, they're, they're legit now. Um, it was, I mean, am I, am I wrong here? You were there. I mean, tell me what you saw. Statistically, I, I know that USC usually gets the benefit of the doubt from analytics, but 
I, I, I kind of get it now. I, yeah. I guess scrape away all the crap and the hype. There's, oh, hey, there's actually like a really good football team there. Right. I mean, they usually grade out just fine in terms of my rankings, and my rankings don't take recruiting into account, you know, after the preseason projections are phased out anyway. So there's something there. They, they've, maybe there's um, a built in volatility that has something to do with, well, this is where we can assign whatever meaning to this that we possibly want to assign. But yeah, maybe there's their problem is more volatility and you know getting up for every game equally and, and not just specific ones or, or whatever. Uh, but no, they they've been their their ratings have been just fine. They've just figured out how to lay specific eggs at specific times, and it's held them back repeatedly. And it, and it's held them back enough, and and in kind of the same way that you know they're maybe they really aren't trustworthy. But yeah, I mean, they played great. They they looked they looked the part, and they didn't they didn't dominate Utah. The yardage was about even. Um, you know, the turnovers obviously made the difference in the game. That freshman linebacker picking up three passes in basically exactly the same way, where he kind of knew what Tyler uh, Wilson was going to do more than than Wilson did. But it was it was fun to watch at juju smith schuster uh he runs with attitude he he plays like you want a usc receiver to play uh, in, in terms of just speed and attitude and basically inviting that guy in so he could stiff arm the hell out of him that was fantastic uh they're really they're one of those teams that when they're playing well they're so much fun to watch it's, it's kind of it's seductive and you kind of want to see more of it and i think you know, maybe that's why they get the benefit of the doubt from in the preseason or from pundits or whatever. But the stats like them too, so they're they're really really not that far away. But I just I understand skepticism. I, in my preview, I said you know I I can talk myself into this team in five seconds, but I understand if you don't want to because usually talking yourself into USC backfires. I didn't think it was going to happen this early in the show, but um, we're, we're eventually going to build like a sound effect for this or probably just make Ty do it but uh this is a narrative meets numbers moment and I think it's the direct conflict between the two because this is a program that is the the preeminent brand and able to recruit and and captivate whatever it is that you need to engage young talented kids in California to come play and they can attract good coaches and they can dominate the Pac-12. And so all of the football and numerical things all point in favor of USC, which, which I'm not telling anyone something they don't know. What's so funny to me is they only show that when you scrape all, the, all of the accoutrement off Ooh. that they themselves sort of put on this whole, oh, we're, we're Hollywood. We want to we reinvent the Pete Carroll era. We want to continue with this tree. You know, we... There needs to be a certain sort of glitz and glamour to USC. You know, the accusations that are, I mean, it, it's its hard to tell em, empirically if they're true or not, but Pat Hayden's sort of running a country club atmosphere. So when all that stuff stops and they're quote-unquote boring or they're lame ducks or they're in interim situations, that's when they play like the really good football team they're supposed to. So what does that tell us? That if you get rid of all of the other stuff, you're going to have a good football program. So we've seen that twice now. Well, there's one more factor here, too, um, that, you know, you sign top-ranked recruiting classes, you sign top-10 classes, you got to play those guys, and that means you've got a young team. You know, there's a, a kind of a cause and effect there. It's all, it's not like basketball where, 
you know, you put you sign the one and gun one and done guys, that means you're always loaded with freshmen and sophomores and it takes a lot of time to, you know, build the experience that you probably need unless you're John Calipari. Um, but you do kind of see it here. I'm just looking at their uh, at their two deep from last week. I mean, Smith Schuster is a sophomore. Um, you know, Ronald Jones is really, really exciting at running back, but he's a freshman. The the offensive line goes junior, sophomore, 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 junior. And, um, you know, Stephen Mitchell caught some passes. He's a sophomore. Adoree Jackson's a sophomore. And, and it's, you know, on and on through the – through the uh, defense, Cameron Smith, the guy, the kid with three picks, is a freshman. Mon Marshall's a freshman. Chris Hawkins is a sophomore. The you know the the entire secondary is freshman and sophomores. So that probably I was talking about volatility. That's probably one of the major causes. And you see the same thing with you know if I just pulled up the uh, let's see I pulled up the top uh, last year's top ten in recruiting rankings. Obviously Alabama's one, and they they figured out the balance of uh, how to work those freshmen in a little bit. Uh, everybody seems to know that if you sign with Alabama, you're you know it's going to take you a little while to get your shot in the sun. But number two is USC. Number three is Florida State. They're dealing with some youth issues uh, on offense, not too many, but a little bit. Tennessee's young. Georgia's young. LSU uh, is young in a couple spots, but some of their sophomores are awesome, so they're doing pretty well. Uh, but you know, Texas is nine. A and M ten. A lot of the teams at the top of the recruiting rankings lists are now playing those guys they signed to get them the top recruiting rankings, and that means they're young and volatile. Go Did back, blow your mind a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's. I wouldn't say it's shocking, but uh, you go back and look at the 2013 season. They're basically doing the same thing. They're doing the almost exactly the same thing. They beat a good Utah team at home with an interim coach after losing to Notre Dame. Then under Ogeron, they went on, win at Oregon State, win at Cal, win at home against Stanford, win at a bad Colorado team, and then they finished out with a loss against UCLA. Look at this year's schedule. They're at Cal, home against Arizona, at Colorado, and at Oregon, which is a very, very different Oregon than in years past, before they're at home against UCLA, which I think is maybe the only game that I see as a loss right now. So here we are again. I, I, I am cutting corners and making generalizations here because that's my job is to be lazy on this show. Are, are they going to, to look at 15 the same way they looked at 13 with that set of information and make the same move in, in which I mean hiring a, a coach that is mediocre at best but has some sort of you know, branched off connection to the Carroll era? Yeah, and I, um, I don't see any evidence that tells me they're not. When I was out there, we we got to tailgate and walk around and, and kind of experience game day at USC, which was cool. That was the entire goal. Um, and, yeah, it, the loyalty to, quote, unquote, USC guys ends in the athletic department. It does not extend to fans. Um, it, it's kind of funny. They, they seem to tolerate the we're USC and we're going to do things a certain way, like hire USC guys and our band's not going to do silly stuff like those other Pac-12 bands. We're going to play our songs and do it right. They, they seem to tolerate it more than they celebrate it. And I, I found that kind of interesting. I was really curious. I didn't, I mean, you never really know um, <clears throat> how, how the fans are going to, you know, just kind of carry themselves in mass. And, and they were actually, it was a, re- a really fun time. There wasn't any sort of that, big school we demand a win kind of stuff they just want to they want 
a good coach who plays fun football and, and that they can, you know, go watch him every Saturday after tailgating for a few hours. And that was pretty cool to see. So let's jump to another warm weather location on the other side of the country, because it's a big, obvious, clumsy transition. Um, I don't know if there's a ton of comparisons between USC and Miami, other than the fact that uh, they're really nice, expensive places to live in warm weather. And they are private schools who need a head football coach. Um, it, nobody was shocked that you know the biggest loss in school history is going to get you fired, especially when they've been flying banners for the better part of this season. But Al Golden's gone. Um, the staff is really there's. I don't. There, there's not a Clay Hilton type situation there. The staff is very much an extension of Golden. They'll be gone too. Miami has to start over again. Um, I, I went through the particulars of this with, uh, with Bud Elliott on Monday. It's a very, very strange job right now. It's a very strange job. Um, I don't even know. We have this thing at SB Nation where we're ranking open jobs in terms of from not really from the perspective of, of history or even money necessarily, but as you sort of the – if you are Coach X, the hot commodity – what are the best jobs available? USC is obviously number one on that list. And, and really, with what I know and, and what we hear about potentially open jobs, I don't see USC. I mean, is there, uh, unless something extraordinary happens, like Les Miles finally flies home to his, his you know, home planet, like, I don't think a job's going to open this year that, that is going to be better than USC. But I don't know what kind of job Miami is. And I've done reporting on Miami and I know all the stats and I know the problems, but it feels like it could come back still. I mean, I, I, I mean, do you think that is, is there anything numerically when you take away all the culture stuff, which is a huge thing to take away from Miami because they're just so, they're so connected. Is there anything that you, you see at Miami that jumps out at you right now? Well, when you have that recruiting base in your backyard, you're never that far away. Now, <clears throat> Miami and USC both have a similar problem in that their biggest draw, the biggest feather in their cap, you know, their connection to local recruits and, and in USC's case, you know, Hollywood and all those celebrities and everything, um, they are tied to a – they have a great recent history. Um, Miami over 30 years, USC during the Carroll era at least. Um, but – they can't celebrate or observe or hang on to that history as directly as they may like because of the sanctions and the problems that came with it. Their best quality was also kind of their worst quality, and they find they've in recent years, especially Miami, has found itself distancing itself from itself. And that's really awkward, and that's not going to work out very well. And, and you know, your Luther Campbell piece especially, it kind of pointed to all the kids they probably missed out on because they didn't necessarily – want to lean too heavily on the U and, you know, Miami recruits and all the things that did them so well a few years ago. It was, um, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a tough balance and I don't exactly know how you pull that balance off. And so it, you know, we've been talking a lot. I, I love the idea of Mario Cristobal going back to Miami, number one, because he's cheap and they might need somebody who doesn't cost $4 million a year. But, um, He's also tied to the U, and so 
you know, does that disqualify him? It's it's going to be a really interesting search, and um, you know, and bringing Al Golden in. Al Golden's a good coach. Like I said, he he made something out of Temple, therefore he will always be considered a good coach in my book. But he clearly wasn't the right coach for Miami. If he, if there's an open job this year in the Big Ten, like Purdue, <clears throat> plug and play. Yeah, done. Absolutely. Yeah, no, totally. He, yeah, he maybe this was the wrong area for him, and and maybe he just. He was handcuffed by the whole, you know, don't commit too hard to the local kids. Or the whole – one of the things that I think it was in your your Uncle Luke piece that uh, Missouri's run into a little bit too, the idea where you can't – you have to wait to offer the local kids because if for whatever reason it doesn't work out or you have to w- rescind the offer, it's going to blow up in your face worse than not offering them does. And, um, you know, so there is that aspect that maybe will handcuff any coach, but maybe it just, yeah, it wasn't the right job for him clearly, but I think he's got a lot of skill. And if he can, if he can build an eight or nine win a team at Temple, he can do it elsewhere. He just wasn't able to accomplish at Miami what they wanted. So to summarize right now, uh, if you're USC, avoid, avoid uh, leaning into your own identity. Don't look to the past and start operating uh, a little more, what, antiseptically, I guess. Um, don't try and replicate once what what once was, and if you're Miami, you almost Do have it. to. You almost have to, even though. Look, the university doesn't want that. I've written about this. I've talked about this. You know, they're selling the swag T-shirts in the front of the house, and then behind closed doors, they're saying we don't want you to act in any way, shape, or form like any of those teams before. We don't want any thug. You know, uh, and for all the connotations that the word thug brings in 2015, it, it's very palpable amongst the higher end fans and, and the culture that, that is running that university now. However, you know, it's it's weird because Bud and I did that piece that everyone likes to make fun of Bud Elliott, our recruiting director, because he's he's so, you know, he runs Tomahawk Nation. He went to Florida State and then in Florida, you know, it, there are no light opinions about Miami and Florida. So it's like, the, oh, it's a Florida State guy, and he's, he's really going in on Miami. And then I start talking about it. You start breaking this job down, the circumstances, and it sounds like I'm being cruel, but I'm not. And I talked to, you know, I spent an inordinate amount of time with the AAC this year because they're doing so well. And, like, you, you talk to these coaches at the AAC jobs, the ones who are doing well and the ones who aren't. And if I could take their their list of complaints and problems and desires and, and things that they would love for their program, and then you sort of turn it into a blind item, it's Miami. Yeah. It's, it's Miami. When you look at how much they're paying the coaches, the facilities issues that they have, the fact that they're borrowing a stadium from an NFL team across town that fans don't seem particularly interested in going to, recruiting, you know, marketing, et cetera, all, all down the line, it's – pretty much the same as the schools where these guys are coming from that Miami fans think they should hire. Justin Fuente, you know, Tom Herman, Matt Rule. I, I, I don't think that that's sunk in yet, and I don't know if it ever will in Miami because it's such a, uh, let's just say, unique perspective. And, and maybe it does more harm than good that people are constantly watching, the, you know, the U and the U Part 2 on Netflix. Nothing against uh, Billy Corbin. Those are awesome, awesome uh, documentaries, but it almost continues to perpetuate the myth. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Miami coach, the first thing you, to me, you know, the whole idea of you know going all in on the Miami area and getting all those local kids versus doing kind of what Golden did, which was try to balance some of the local kids with outside kids who don't have that same, I don't know a good word to use, rep, I guess. Um, 
you know, that was a really tough balance. And so to me that, you know, to succeed at Miami, to, to bring whatever level of success Miami fans clearly want, it seems like the first thing you have to do is get the local kids. If Amari Cooper wants to go to your school, you, you sign Amari Cooper no matter what. You don't, you don't mess around or him and haw about it. You offer him and you get his commitment and you sign him and, and the other kid Freeman, um, you know, that, that seems to me, you know, before you worry about anything else, about reputation or anything, you know, sanctions and whatnot, you get the local kids and then you figure the rest out. Maybe you won't figure it out. Maybe it'll blow up in your face, but it seems like the other way is definitely going to blow up in your face. So, you know, it's, it's a tricky job. It's one that you can clearly, I mean, 14 years ago, they won the national title. 13 years ago, they should have. And uh, that's not that long ago. That's the Rivals.com era. That's not that bad. Uh, so clearly you can win there, even with the, the awkward stadium issues, uh, even with everything else that they've got going against them. You've got that recruiting base, and you can field a ridiculously talented team and then figure the rest out. Uh, if, I'm a, if I'm a Tom Herman, like the next Tom Herman, the offensive coordinator at the power school, or from, you know, well, I guess Fuente was the same thing, OC at TCU. Um, if that's the model, like the young dynamic recruiting coordinator, not recruiting coordinator, sorry, uh, coordinator who is also very good at recruiting. And I'm looking at these open jobs, like why not replicate what Temple and, and Houston and Memphis. And I think eventually SMU like go to, well, take that central Florida job. You've got a commitment to facilities, a huge school, which may or may not mean anything. I've spent enough time in Orlando to know it's not like people are living and dying with the Golden Knights, but take that job, recruit while Miami is is still a mess, you know, uh, recruit and just be, don't even worry about the Florida, Florida State kids. But like that to me seems like a hell of a blueprint right now. I mean, Willie Taggart has, I guess, if anything, sort of bailed out enough water, let's say, at USF. I mean, uh let me stall and pull up the schedule. I know that they won this weekend because I think they played SMU. But, you know, by no means is, is, is USF rolling yet. And there, there was a lot of concern that he would lose his job this year because they hadn't made that dynamic move. There's a lot of potential at Central Florida. I mean, it may have the most potential if, if you sort of grade on a curve of the, of the open jobs right now. We don't really know what to make of Maryland because of the money um, and, and how stupid Kevin Plank is going to get with the Under Armour money there. We don't. I mean, I think we're we're in agreement about open jobs like Illinois and how messy they can be. By the way, Al Golden, Illinois, ton of sense. Give yeah. him four years, sit back, take two really bad years on the chin. I think he could turn that into like a nice five to eight win window program. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I, I really don't know why I feel so so uh, concerned about finding Al Golden another job, but you know he he's a nice man. He's a good dresser. You know, you, you he's got kids. You feel bad for him. By the way, uh, USF now 65th in my um, S&P Plus rankings. Creeping. Yeah, that's that's not bad. That's a hell of a lot higher than Missouri is at the moment. Uh, By the way, let, let me let me back up and say that uh, Taggart has temporarily steadied South Florida. They are 4-3, and three, but they are still headed to Navy, headed to East Carolina, home for Temple, home for Cincinnati, and then they're going to play a hapless U- a UCF team. So that looks like a 5-7 and seven finish. Well, they, they rank ahead of Cincinnati at least. Since he's got its own issues, so they might still have a chance at six. No, I mean probably not more than six. Yeah, six. If they got to six, I think he stays. Yeah, um, that'd be spectacular. Five would be good considering where I kind of thought they would be this year. Oh, did you have him further down than that? 
Oh, yeah. I, I did not expect very much of USF this year. Um, I was in Texas this week. Um, Texas. Um, I guess I've been with Texas twice and I haven't talked about it on the show because I've been doing a kind of unique feature that um, is is still in process. Um, And I pause and stutter as I try and figure out what I want to talk about before the story comes out. But um, I guess in in just a pure football sense, the two games, the last two games uh, Texas has played, I've I've been there for and – let me just say that like we we hatched this story that's going to come out uh, soon, hopefully, uh, <laughs> after the TCU game. Okay, so the the team that's playing right now, I, I didn't quite expect, and the team that I've seen since we started to sort of hatch this this story, um, almost stands in direct correlation to what I thought I was going to cover. Um, that's good news if you're a Texas fan. They're playing good defense. They are, I guess, I, I mean, in simple terms, they, they boiled that offense down to it, its most successful elements, which were very few, and they just, they've been leaning on that. And it's been kind of impressive to watch. It's been ugly. Um, it's been grinding, but um, it, it, it's worked. Kansas State is not good this year. But it worked. Oklahoma is, and it worked. So um, the tenor and the tone have changed around Texas dramatically. It's uh, it could be really interesting to see what this what this new offense and what this I think weakly improving defense is is going to do. Not so much down the stretch this year, but I think it's given a real it, it's it's really altered the perspective around Austin and around Texas for what 2016 is going to look like. Yeah, this is what I expected to see after that Cal game. I thought they had kind of found their blueprint a little bit. Um, they lost the plot a little bit against Oklahoma State, but still almost won that game. You know, took that those ridiculous bounces and that those calls at the end, the conspiracy at the end um, to lose that game. But then, yeah, the 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 pasting at TCU seemed like maybe that momentum was gone. That you know they'd kind of lost the plot again. But no, that's what they can do. They cannot pass very well yet, but they can run the ball, and uh, the defense really is improving. Holding, you know. Holding OU to 17 points is impre- very, very impressive. Holding K-State to nine, even though K-State's got all sort of uh, issues right now, they, you know, I don't think that you know backup defensive tackle is still taking snaps at quarterback just in case, but um, they clearly um, have their own issues, but they still hold them, held them to nine points. That's not bad. So, um, you know, you look at the rest of their schedule, if they can – <laughs> it's weird to say this, but the Iowa State game this weekend is enormous – uh, Iowa State's not terrible. Uh, I was actually a little surprised that they fired Mangino. I didn't think their offense was just wretched by any means, but you know they should be able to. They're pretty smart defensively at the very least. They're going to know that you know stop the pass, make or stop the run, make them pass. Mm-hmm. But if Texas can win that game and then beat Kansas, they're suddenly five and four, and they only need to win one one of three down the stretch. Now the only winnable one's probably Texas Tech. But they'll have a chance at six wins, and that's not something we expected to say two weeks or three weeks ago. That's for sure. Yeah, no, and it suddenly reinvigorates them for a Thanksgiving game at home against Texas Tech. Um, I think that they're even in this sort of weakened transition state. They're certainly more talented than Iowa State. I think they are feeling the momentum. You're seeing that from from the younger players. Um, there's been a, a sea change in culture in the last couple of weeks of guys that are coming out in the media. That, and again, I don't want to get. 
I just want to stay on the field with Texas as I'm, as I'm working on this and not shoot myself in the foot. But um, I'll just say culturally the locker room has changed and the perception of the locker room has changed amongst the fans and boosters um, to where these guys are very much playing for their coach, which sounds like a cliche, but let me tell you that is almost that, that, that is not even the majority of the case right now with, with power five teams, guys who play for their coach. It's just not, it's a much more professional atmosphere than I think we, we understand um, just because that's the nature of the game in, in today's sort of business of college football. But um I think they could. I mean, I, I think they're going to be fine against Iowa State. Maybe "fine" is too confident a term, but uh, to look at where this program psyche was after that TCU game, to like you said, they're going to, you know, they, they get Iowa State and Kansas next. I don't know. Maybe they spring an upset at West Virginia. They looked great against the Mountaineers last year. Um, they were able to run the ball really, really well against the Mountaineers last year. Um, if they make a bowl, I mean, this is this is one of the biggest reclamation projects from start to finish that I think we'll have this year, this season. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Um, where do you want to go next? There's um, – I feel like we just hit the headlines and we try and avoid that. We haven't even gone into some weird territory. We've barely even talked about the American Athletic Conference. It's I know, strange. seriously. They, they've been, well, we did just talk about USF. Yeah. Um, it's um, – so Clemson, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess this is the headline week. Sorry that we're we're acting like everybody else, but um, I I think it's I think the tone of this show fits with the idea that Clemson's the best team in the country. I, I don't see why not. It's a That's nice under the radar thing. I, I do find it funny. I mean, Clemson's won a lot of games in recent years, but. Um, you can tell there's still just a distrust. No matter how many big bowl games they win, no matter how many times they win 10 games, they've won 42 games over the last four seasons, but everybody does seem to be going out of the way to talk themselves out of Clemson to some degree. But these last two, I mean, they, they moved to number one in, in my ratings a couple of weeks ago, and since then they became the only team to score on Boston College. Um, and then they completely shut out Miami handed Miami the worst loss ever, even though, you know, Miami, obviously you playing them after a Florida state loss is usually good, but they just beat Virginia tech. I understand Virginia tech's not amazing or good, but that was a nice win. That was a nice bounce back. It seemed like they were in a pretty good place considering they, you know, considering the heat and everything else. And then Clemson just absolutely laid waste to them. So, I, I, if they're wearing Florida State's helmets, we have no problem. There's no second thought here. They are absolutely considered number one in the country. But for whatever reason, that orange just makes us doubt. I think we need to kill that too. I think um, there it is. See, we really need a buzzer. Like, a, I wish my dog could bark on command. That's about the closest thing as I, I have to a sound effect right now. We got to kill this thing. Narrative meets numbers. Blind item this team. It's like you just said. Okay, put any other team's helmets on them. We're talking about how they're locked for the playoff. Um, when I was in the locker room after the Notre Dame game, I think people forget this. It's just like recruiting. Okay, 16, 15, 17 year old kids don't look at college football like you do. Okay, these kids that are in the locker room don't look at Clemsoning like we do. It doesn't matter that Clemson blew a lead in some game in 2007 and we all turned it into an internet meme. It just does not apply to these guys. Okay. Um, I think if if I'll pay Dabo any credit, it, it ends up being a backhanded compliment. He's hired a lot of good coordinators. Brent Venables is is having a renaissance, man. I think he's I think he's more comfortable than he was at Oklahoma. I think he's happier than he was at Oklahoma. 
I think their defensive front is amazing. I think they've played really well. They have a lot of talent. They've they've sort of steadied the, sh- the steadied the ship. By the way, has become my uh, cliche of the day for just I guess not having enough coffee. Um, this is a team that is. I mean, I don't really have a problem calling them the best team in football right now, no, and, and not and not having to put an asterisk next to it and talk about oh well you know. And by the way, if they lose to Florida State, they they just lose to Florida State. That There's is nothing more to extrapolate from that. That Florida State's a pretty good team, and they lost, and yeah. that happens. You know, last year at this point, I was saying Ole Miss was the best team in the country. So things change. They they don't have yes. to continue being the best team in the country, but with that front and that quarterback. They're going to have a chance, and that's, um, you know, injuries could change that, whatever else could change that. But right now, through seven games, they, they've definitely been – and you look at our ratings, my goodness. I mean, they – there's – we were waiting for teams to kind of separate themselves from the pack. Well, one has. <laughs> Clemson is, is, is far and away number one in our ratings. And um, if they survive the next two weeks, you know, NC State's good now, quite good. Uh, and then, of course, Florida State at home. If they survive those two, finish up with that Syracuse Wake and at South Carolina, and then what? Probably, I'm guessing Duke in the ACC title game. That's yeah, they're going to win those games. It's okay to say it. Yeah. And, and the different, you know, you had Ole Miss as the most talented team in the country last year. Best, best, best. Or be, I'm sorry, best, yeah. best. They lost depth due to injury down the stretch, and they played a really tough schedule that they got out schemed a couple times. I don't see that happening here. This isn't like Mississippi State or Ole Miss or even Auburn. Those, yeah, that was one, two. That was one, three, and four, right? And then Florida State was number two when the first rankings came out. I think Clinton. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think Clinton's going to be the the number one team in the uh, in the committee in the committee selection when it comes out. Yeah, I Which, would be very have surprised. On the committee. I would be very surprised if they're not. I know that we're you know because of polls and because of preseason rankings, we're we're legally mandated to say that Ohio State is the number one team in the country, but Clemson has been, uh, from start to finish, Ohio State's started to look good recently, but from start to finish, Clemson has been the best team. They've been the best team, and they have that Notre Dame win to kind of lean on a little bit. You know, I would be very surprised if they're not the number one uh, committee team. If Notre Dame comes out and houses Temple, I think that's the kind of logic the committee's going to use based off of conversations I've had, I think that's going to work in their favor. I don't see, I don't think it's a huge insult to Ohio State to put them second either. Three and four? Don't ask. I have no idea. Baylor. Baylor, three or four? Well, maybe two. I don't know. Um, You know, I I still, I've been plugging Alabama into mine just because it's kind of Uh, the, combination of you know i i just kind of throw four teams out there you know combination of resume and perceived quality and who i think is going to do well moving forward and everything else Uh, so i've had alabama up there i don't expect them to be number two by any means but why wouldn't baylor be ahead of they would at least have a case to be ahead of ohio state though i guess as we know from the committee you know they don't really subscribe to my it's not who you play it's how they seem to say it's not who you play it's who you play but so maybe that does hurt Baylor, especially here before they played TCU and everybody. But I think they have a case. I think LSU is going to have a pretty good case from a resume standpoint. Um, my prediction, and this is not what I think, my prediction of what the committee will do will be Clemson 1, Ohio State 2, Baylor 3, LSU 4. Or maybe LSU 3, Baylor 4. I could see that. T- TCU's still there. Feels like um, the safest move to make. And then yeah, they, now, 
Yeah, and five and six, I think you put TCU at five or six, and then maybe maybe Michigan State will still be somewhere. Stanford or Michigan State? Yeah, that'd be interesting to to see how they handle the one the you know because like I said, one of the funny things about this year is that you know a lot of the best teams have already lost, and you've got lesser teams who haven't. And that's going to make for some really interesting ra- – you know, eventually most of them will lose, but they haven't yet. So it could be fun to see what the committee thinks before they all lose. As soon as we wrap this up, I have to go on the SB Nation Selection Committee show, and I only bring that up on this podcast. It's, it's, it's probably the most anxiety-filled thing I do all week because, um, I don't know, so a lot of college football people want to tell you that they, they can, or they feel like they can stand up as some sort of universal authority. Like you run a ranking system. I know you don't watch everything, but I'm usually on some bizarre deep dive or with some strange story in the middle of nowhere. And like, I, I, I don't ever feel qualified to speak to the whole, but I'm just scrolling down and I'm thinking, I have Michigan State fourth and they're 27th in your rankings. You're not helping yeah. me. No, I, I don't really have a case to support you with <sighs> your love of Michigan State. Okay, well, then I'm just going to go with cliche and, uh, <laughs> Just, uh, I may even do like a sports talk radio voice to do it. Yeah, just yell. If you yell, <laughs> anything else, apparently. If you yell, I, they will assume you know what you're talking about. I just look, it, it, it's not, it's not all analytic. I know you and I have had these conversations. Sometimes I will come to you and I'll say, Is this game worth going to? Do you think this is an upset? And you're like, Well, yeah, I think it could be, right? But maybe st- statistically it says it won't be. And I just feel like Michigan State can beat Ohio State. Well, I mean, they're apparently the new 2013 Auburn, so can't wait to see them beat Ohio State. <laughs> God, what a terrible thing to annoy to Michigan State. But I think I, I think I like Michigan State because they're the antithesis of that. I know what happened against Michigan, but I just like the, I like that inevitable feeling they give you of like, no matter what, they don't look as dominant. It looks like they miss Narduzzi. And yet you just kind of know they're going to win, with the exception of the Michigan game. No one thought they were going to win. But everything else, I was like, well, you know, that's behind them now. They got the win, regardless of how it happened. So, I, I don't know. I just There's just a certain steady comfort that they provide. Yeah, they're not going to beat Ohio State, by the way. Could happen. Could. Probably won't. <laughs> You're killing me right I'm now. Just, I'm just being honest, man. I'm just trying to be Do honest. I need to call in sick to the selection committee thing. <laughs> Uh, let's do reader questions. Yep. We got a bunch. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll go ahead and just, we don't normally do any of the fun, goofy ones, but I have to get rid of the elephant in the room. And that is a, uh, Twitter username at Mrs. Bill C. How many pairs of shoes does, um, Bill Connolly actually have? Do you want to take this one? Well, I mean, I don't know the answer. Um, I don't know how much podcast time we need to develop, like devote to this, but. Is this a lifelong thing? No, no. I, I surprise myself sometimes. I went to some, I don't know, Foot Locker in like 2000. No, it was 2007. It was, uh, the memories are flooding back. The, it was, uh, I was in Oklahoma for my 10 year high school and, uh, not anniversary, um, reunion. Yeah. And, you know, needed some new shoes, stopped at a Foot Locker in Oklahoma City. They had like a buy one, get one sale. Uh, got a pair of Pumas, thought those look pretty cool too, bought those and thought, wow, having more than one pair of tennis shoes is kind of cool. Oh, look at those over there. And then 
whatever that is, about eight years later, man, I'm almost in my 20-year reunion. Um, I don't think it's 40. It might be 40. It's close to 40. 40. And I... I own, I own three pairs of shoes. And I, I, you know, they're not just like up on the wall. I probably, in you know, as I'm standing in the kitchen to work each day, there's a rotation of probably... Six or eight of them, and another four, six, eight, ten that that get used, you know, in semi decent rotation on the weekends and whatnot. You know. I just feel like I would the, the the potential of selection would cripple me. Well, yeah. I mean, I have a tough time already picking a book or a movie or a video game or even like a uh, the um, shout out to Dan Rubenstein the Pocket app, and and I I keep like thirty or forty you know long form length articles. That selection cripples me. I'm retweeting right now. We'll get back to a football. There it is. Your wife tweeted me yesterday with a photo. Okay. So if you check my Twitter account, I've retweeted it. That's not all of them. That's not That's not actually the rotation ones. The rotation ones are in our closet in our bedroom. And, and my wife said um, – So are those like the reserves? For no, like, yeah, those are kind of the weekend ones. You know, certain shoes like are more comfortable for standing or? for like seven hours at a time. You know, those yeah. are the ones I wear during the week. I, I break in the fun, weird ones over the weekend. It's, it's a pretty good system. I My wife has already said that if I take a picture of our closet with the other shoes in them and all of her shoes and, and the fact that you can't really walk into that closet, I will I will be dead. So I'm not going to do that. But, yeah. I, I mean, it's it might be 40. I don't think it's 40, but it might be. Wow. Okay. Um. <laughs> I've got to scramble and find a football question now. So, at Celebrity uh, Hot Tub asks... Oh, yeah, I know that what, guy. What a weird Twitter name that is. He sucks. <sighs> um, what preseason, preseason prediction of yours has turned out to be laughably wrong? Does I, I don't think Georgia counts, because I kind of knew it would be wrong when I made it, and I still made it. So, that was just kind of like confirmation. So, does that one count? Because that one, I had them pretty high. Well, what surprised you? You said because you said it didn't surprise. What surprised you that was bad? Well, Auburn being this mediocre surprised me. I thought they were a little overrated. Well, I definitely thought they were overrated when people were putting them in the top five, but I still put them in like the top ten, I think. <laughs> so I, I think the fact that they're a wholly mediocre number fifty, sixty, seventy, or whatever that's that's definitely surprising. I mean, Missouri. I, I wasn't calling them a top 10 team but i had them in the top 30 and they're not top 30 right now they're top they're nearly LOL. top 10 on one side nope. of the ball uh so i mean it, it just in terms of magnitude that one i i i wasn't even that optimistic and i was probably more wrong about missouri than any t- other team i think uh i think mine would be and i don't go on the record like you do so um auburn and oregon yeah, I, did, I, I didn't think that I uh, I didn't think the Don Pelham thing would be quite as um, debilitating, um, and then I thought, I don't know. I've, we've talked about this before, I think, on this show, or I know I've talked about it on a bunch of like SEC radio show things that we just all ended up listening to ourselves about Auburn's pass game and defense, and I don't really know how that happened. We spoke so. It was like so something was wished to be true. It was spoken enough, and it was. But then we played the football games. So I think Auburn probably for me, and then Oregon number two. Yeah, I just pulled up my rankings that I, that we included in the 
um, in the in our big season preview package. I mean, Oregon, everybody was wrong about Oregon. Nobody had Oregon below probably, what, 10th or 15th. So, I mean, that one was just, no matter what criteria you use for your rankings, you're going to have Oregon pretty high, and they haven't met that. So that's kind of, that was just something that happened that nobody really saw. Auburn, when you do think back to the fact that they were 8-5 and five last year, and they were almost a unanimous top five team. Yeah, there, there is – somebody probably could have stepped back and said, wait a second, why? Except everybody who did is just one of the – seemed to be one of, like, the anti-SEC people who were just saying everybody's overrated. So, you know, they got ignored. But in that specific nobody, case – Nobody – but you're right. I just want to emphasize that. A lot of people said, hey, this isn't the greatest division in football, like talking about oh, the SEC West of it. Or they – no one specifically singled out Auburn and said this team is overrated. This is these are problems. You know, any any criticism of the Tigers that I saw was just largely ascribed to the SEC in general. So I just want to really emphasize that there's there, there was no profit out there about Auburn. No one. Scrolling through my rankings, I did have Clemson twenty fourth. Okay, that, that appears to be wrong. Um, I remember saying when I was writing the preview, I wanted to rank them twice, once with a healthy Deshaun Watson and a defensive line that wasn't that didn't completely fall apart after losing all those guys, and then another one with an injured Watson and a young line that wasn't doing very well. And so I think in those two cases, I would have had one at about 10th and one at about 50th, and so far the former is the one that we're seeing. Where is Clemson in the uh, – I'll pull it up real because I've got football setters. The S&P defense, I was just curious. Uh, top – Two or three, I think. Yeah. I'm telling you, dude, the Venables. It's the Venables. Sounds, that sounds like a uh, sounds like a soup at a deli. <laughs> they are fourth in the defensive S&P right now. Um, so that's that's pretty good. That's ridiculous. Um, at that, they're number one in rushing, in the rushing S&P. So see, uh, Georgia Tech nineteenth. That one has not played out yet. Tech was a uh, that was a big one for a lot of people. Um, I was told I was being pessimistic about Arizona putting them at thirty fourth, but I was being too optimistic. Nailed it. Um, I think we've addressed the USC thing. Um, I think a lot of people had them, and then I mean, Florida State's about where I think a lot of people thought. They kind of tricked me. They, these first few weeks, it may, I think it was mostly because nobody else was looking particularly amazing. Um, you know, I started to believe that just for their lack of clear flaws, maybe they were really a, a top five contender. And then, um, I, you know, they play that game ten times on Saturday. They still win almost all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. But but still, I mean, that, that exacerbated a couple of flaws that – um, we're kind of pecking, you know, they, they were trying to get attention and, and they got attention now and they're clearly a pretty flawed team at Arkansas uh, 14. Clearly that hasn't. Oh yeah. That's another one too. That's another one too. The, the uh, bull bounce assumption probably most benefited Arkansas this off season. Well, and I, I wasn't even thinking of, of a bull bounce. I was just, I thought they were really good last year and a couple plays from being like a 10 or 11 win team. So I was buying into that, but then they've had all the same problems this year. Um, at, uh, at Salt Creek CN, Salt Creek and Stadium, it's a big Nebraska fan. Would you rather eat nails or be head coach at Nebraska? Um, let's tap, let's tap the brakes a little bit. I don't really want to eat nails, so. I mean, we're talking like, what are we talking here? Like, uh, the little penny nails? Are we talking like, uh, like a wood screw? 
I mean, I'd take one year. I'd come at a discount. If they just want to pay me one year to be miserable <clears throat> coaching Nebraska, I'd do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, let, let's tap the brakes uh, for, for a hot minute. Um, it's his first year. You did fire a coach that all that just, you know, kind of won games consistently. Um, he has had two really hard losses. Um, however, I think the the more doomsayer part of this is that for someone who's been in Texas a ton the past month, I talked to people about recruiting and the long-term effect of the move to the Big Ten I think is going to be very negative for Nebraska specifically in recruiting. I think it's going to hurt them because they are not coming in and playing in College Station and Austin and Norman. Um, it's it's not good. I think when you trade that to go to places like Champaign and West Lafayette and Iowa City, over time that changes how you brand your team to those 16, 17-year-olds and you're already at a disadvantage because you're in the middle of the country and it is very cold and inhospitable to a defensive back from Dallas or Los Angeles or Tampa. So that is a bigger concern if I am a Nebraska fan than the head coach is currently. However, you did not hire this guy because he was a winner. You hired this guy because he was a an emissary of sorts, and you got what you hired. I don't think it's fair in any right to start even evaluating this guy's tenure at Nebraska yet. What well, did you expect? Yeah, they, they hired the guy who was most in complete direct opposite of the last guy, and that's usually a really bad way to go about making a hire. I mean, I... Very NFL, I might add. Yeah. Very NFL. I mean, I just... It had been a while since he had fielded a good team at Oregon State. There were plenty of reasons to worry about this hire, uh, but you also knew that because of his charm and because of the fact that he wasn't Bo Pelini, he was going to go you know town to town in the state, and everybody was going to be completely wooed by the time late August came around. But then they had to play the games, and there's been a transition. I don't know that he's a, a, a failure. Well, he clearly isn't yet, but I, I don't know if he'll succeed, but we're not going to – you know. Eight games is not going to uh, – just, just, It's just a giant TBD. But I do – I understand the anxiety of, of you know tapping into an obsessive fan. That's why we're here doing the podcast. I get all that. But this is what you – this is – I don't remember a, a giant gnashing it, like a, a, a strong objection from Nebraska fans about this. I, I, I must have missed that. Okay, so you knew what you were getting into. There was a majority of the fan base that consented – you're eight games in. He should have beaten BYU. They really should have come back and beat Miami. Northwestern. Northwestern. I mean, flip those three games around, and you're talking about how the culture's changed so much, and I can't wait for the future. So, And Illinois. Tough. Now that I remember, Illinois, um, that was a dumb loss too. So they've, you know, in terms of in-game coaching, he's failed a lot of tests this year. That doesn't mean he always will. But, yeah, I think that's one of the things that has Nebraska fans kind of on edge at the moment. Not only are they losing, but they're losing in kind of dumb ways that that seem preventable. And um, <clears throat> that's not really a way to ingratiate yourself to a fan base that expects to win a lot of games. You're not losing in a, in a, in a crippling uh, blowout manner, though. And, I mean, there are winnable games left. I think, uh, well, there's winnable games as in Purdue and Rutgers. I think they're going to lose to Iowa and Michigan State, which is not going to be considered a successful season. But oh, man, uh, that would be one, two, three, five, and seven. four straight home losses to end the year. Five home losses overall. Ooh, good call, Bill. 
I, did, I didn't look at the home and away there. That ain't good. No, they, <laughs> he he wasn't okay. a slam dunk hire. He might not work out. There's no guarantee of that after eight games, but he clearly hasn't. He, he needs to probably reaffirm some things here down the stretch. So now I understand the anxiety. Um, well, I still say you got to wait. Oh, yeah. I mean, one, one year isn't going to tell you much, but, yeah, he, he needs to – he needs to remind people why they hired him at some point. Or I do people. think it's going to be a very uh, interesting recruiting cycle for him. He's yeah, going I mean, to have to tack on. He's going to have to provide something to create short-term comfort, and I don't know if they're equipped to do that. Also, they. I'm just looking very quickly at next year's schedule. Um, it's not impossible. There's there's a seven and five, eight eight win team there, but that's not what Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska didn't have that with Polini. They may have downgraded on wins temporarily, or maybe forever, we don't know, specifically for that culture change, and that's the price of doing business. What I will say about recruiting, Wisconsin's able to pretty consistently put top 25 teams on the field, even when they lose their coach every other year and have no stability in that regard. Right. So, I mean, if if Nebraska fans are thinking of th- of, you know, we we demand to be a top five team again. Well, that's probably not going to happen. But consistently top twenty five. There's no reason why they couldn't achieve that, and they haven't. Uh, well, they're not this year. They were they missed that mark a few times under Pelini. So they're clearly underachieving. They're just not maybe underachieving a ton. Um, next year, real fast. The non conference is Fresno, Wyoming, and Oregon, all in Lincoln to open the season. So, yeah, two and one. Well, I mean, any two worse than two and one, and go ahead and dump him. I think, but I mean, they we don't really know what Oregon's going to look right. like. Three and zero there, you know, maybe. So I'm at, really, I'm, I'm grasping at straws to encourage Nebraska fans, which is a weird place to be. No, the, uh, you don't need to grasp at straws. You just need to acknowledge that you would rather be their head coach than eat nails. Well, yeah, I would because actually, as I look at this conference schedule next year, life in the Big Ten West ain't hard. At okay, ready at Northwestern, home for Illinois. At Indiana, home for Purdue. You got a tough game at Wisconsin. You got a tough game at Ohio State, and then you close out at home against Minnesota and Maryland before you go to the rivalry game with Iowa. Like nothing scares the 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 uh, the poop out of you there. It's not terrible. It's manageable. Yeah, he better win eight next year. <laughs> oh, man. He better win. He's such a nice guy. Um, uh, here's a question that just came in, and I don't know how to answer it, but we're gonna, I'll give it a shot. What's going on with the Texas A&M offense? Could you have foreseen the defense being their high point this season? Um, no, but Chavis is a good coordinator. He still hasn't really gotten him back to where, he, where a Chavis defense would be, but it takes – God, I've said this a thousand times in relation to the SEC this year. It takes more than one year on defense, okay? You don't come in and lay hands unless it's a unique circumstance in which there were a lot of highly talented kids who are upperclassmen. You suddenly come in and plug and play. It takes time, okay? When you hire a coordinator midway through the recruiting cycle and he has to work with someone else's personnel, it almost always means there's going to take more than one season to see the, the, uh, the fruit of the labor, okay? As far as the offense... I don't know. Yeah. I really don't. In today's numerical, I had a little bit about um, 
You know, against teams that aren't in the top 20 of my defensive ratings, they're still averaging like 39 points and six-something yards of play. So we don't know if this is a collapse or something awful or if it's just that, you know, Kyle Allen forgot which colors he was throwing to last Saturday and there was a little hangover uh, against a really angry Ole Miss defense that just got torched and, you know, had its pride questioned. And so it, you know, laid an egg against Ole Miss those are the two best defenses they're going to face this year. So now they get three. They, now they get South Carolina, Auburn, and Western Carolina before they take on two more good defenses. They could be just well. No, they could be. They could be good. They could be fine. I know they were expecting more. I don't think they should have expected more. But you know, this will probably, I assume, end up being a top thirty offense. Which, considering how young it still is, speaking of good recruiting classes that always result in you being young, Texas A and M. Um, but, you know, I, I think until we see how they perform against bad defenses or mediocre defenses again, I don't think there's any sort of October collapsed yet. I think they just it was bad timing on the Ole Miss game, and, and now they have a chance to kind of rectify themselves a little bit. That Ole Miss defense was not the Ole Miss defense, though. I will say that. I was really shocked to see him hold him to a field goal. No Robert Kandichi, no Tony Connor. I think Marquise Haynes went down early. Like, it was that was a that was an all-hands-on-deck you know, the reserve stepping in kind of night. And I was really shocked that, that Texas A&M wasn't able to stretch the field. Um, yeah, they were angry. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, they really were. So I guess credit to Ole Miss because I love to jump on Hugh Freeze's inability to um, to do the football parts of a football job. Um, Better well, you long-term this- prospects, Miami or Nebraska, Miami? Oof. Yeah, Miami. Um, okay. Next. I think, yeah, we, we kind of covered that. Uh, but, yeah, definitely Miami. Um Okay, what do you got this weekend before we get out of here? Oh, hey, we're in an hour, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I don't – well, no, actually I do have something on Saturday. It's going to Kansas City uh, to take the the kid, the four-year-old, to the zoo Halloween extravaganza. And then, you know – You're, you're going to do that on a Saturday? Well, I mean, that's when Halloween is, so – Oh right, yeah. Wow, sorry. But it'll okay. be it'll be early. I have too. a thirteen month old, so we can just tell him things, and he believes them. And I'm gonna try and stretch that out until he's about twenty two. Yeah. Just build a bunker and keep him down there. Sure. Yeah. No, that, that'll be that'll be early, um, and then I'll I'll be able to watch some football after that, and then you know do trick or treating. I guess this is a awesome week for Missouri to be on by. Number one, because I didn't want to watch that offense again for another week, <laughs> but. And number two, because they need a bye week. And uh, number three, because it's Halloween, and so we're going to have a lot going on. I like it when you get salty about your alma mater. Uh, this is not a great week. Uh, by the way, trick-or-treating windows are are readily available, um, especially if you're a daylight hour trick-or-treater and not one of those ruffians that comes out after dark. Uh, whew, i got to say nothing's uh, – I'll watch USC Cal with great interest. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of the reasons that we just stated. Um I will watch Ole Miss and Auburn at 11 a.m. because it's a very much a trap game. And one of our Twitter questions, or just to give the person a shout-out, and I'm stalling and talking like I'm having a seizure. Um, I, where's the Twitter user? I'm trying to I'm trying to pay homage to our listeners, and I screw Control-F, control-F. Um, ba- uh, basically, I, I'm sorry, and I'll, we'll shout you out next week, but 
Uh, I think Ole Miss has lost like four or five consecutive road games as the favorite. Also, Ole Miss just doesn't win at Auburn. So this is a t- This is a game they really, really need to win against a team that they should beat, so they'll probably lose. Yeah, um, technically that- Ole Miss is still very much in the SEC race, which is kind of, you know, after that Memphis game, an amazing thing to say, but they're right there if they be- if they win this It's also, game. yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's an amazing thing to say that, like, yeah, it's it's – okay. Um I've got about as much faith in that happening as wings sprouting out of my ass, but you know. No, no, no. I'm just saying technically they're still in the race. I'm not saying they're going to win just, it. As some, as, that was the first team I ever covered in my alma mater. Let's see him win at Auburn first before we start talking about you know things like that. Um, Georgia, Florida's just because of plots, kind of it's, fascinating. It's football product in the mid afternoon. Um, although I will probably be leaving at four o'clock to do the, you know, that's your and that's sort of your trick or treating window here, gang. Um, since all of you are listening, you're going to be putting on costumes and such. Um, Notre Dame Temple's the primetime game because Notre Dame. Eh, Arizona Washington's fun to pass out to if you're in the younger category of treating Halloween as a drunken um, day of debauchery. That's a really good game to pass out to. Pac-12 after dark. Wazoo. Yeah. So you, you got to dig this week. Uh, Super exciting game. Pumped about that. Yeah, no, that one's going to be. Central I mean, I, Stanford, I, I, when I, I mentioned this in the numerical too, Stanford's faced uh, Mike Leach three times and held them to 17 points each time. But this is the hottest a Mike Leach offense has ever been at Washington State. So I assume that won't be enough. I assume Stanford will continue to run all over them like they've run all over everybody else. But that's definitely, especially in that Pac 12 after dark slot. That's definitely one to watch just in case things get kind of silly. Because if somehow Wazoo wins, they're almost at that point the Pac-12 North favorite. The team that lost to Portland State. Yeah, you're right. Um, a little further down, Oklahoma State at Texas Tech. Um, let's see what the Cowboys look like when they're playing a little bit better of an opponent. Um, I like oh, I like Vanderbilt at Houston just for really nerdy reasons. Um if Houston wins that game against Vanderbilt's defense, they should get, um, I wouldn't say all the credit that Memphis got for beating Ole Miss, but, but some of it. Um, oh, wow, they're 11-point favorites. Houston is? Yeah. I, 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 I think I would take the points there. Um, not that we do that on this show. Uh, Maryland at Iowa, LOL. Um, yeah, it's... Um, it's uh, actually I, I completely take it back. You you should you should drive to Kansas City and take a child trick or treating at the zoo. Although yeah, the the early shift isn't amazing. There's some fun stuff late at night, so that works out pretty well. I think your best early shift game is going to be Ole Miss possibly losing at Auburn. I mean, really, it's not a good week. Maryland, oh, Iowa. The worst game on this schedule to fall down and be unable to to like like a uh, life alert type moment. <laughs> I would say Maryland at Iowa would be the worst thing to like to be to be somehow trapped under a large item in your house as if like a bookcase or credenza. Um, although Tulane is at Memphis, oh, you, that, that's kind of fun to watch in a lopsided way. OSU Texas Tech should be fun because I, I mean Oklahoma State is not the twelfth best team in the country, so nope. that game being in Lubbock. Nope. And I'm not. It's not like I'm waiting to say anything bad about Oklahoma State, but I am waiting to see them play some like football against a football team, uh, and that kind of starts now. You know, against that vaunted Texas Tech defense. Texas got to score though. That, that, uh, nice with the over under in the line. They're basically saying it's going to be forty one thirty eight Oklahoma State. How would you not watch that? 
Um, ULM at ULL. Ooh. Just wanted to say those words. Don't really have anything football-related to tag to that. UTEP at Southern Miss. Southern Miss building towards a bowl. Yeah. Uh, we're really scratching here. Um, hey, we get football next Tuesday. And Wednesday. Wow. Did you hear the joy in my voice? <laughs> did you just – that was uh, – by the way, in terms of conference races, maybe the most important game this week, North Carolina Pitt. Ooh. Well, that says everything you need to know about Halloween, folks. Hey, North Carolina scores points. Pretty terrible. All right, we're running out of steam, and uh, I've got to go justify my life and uh, my steady obsession with Michigan State. Hopefully you all have a better day than me. <laughs> See you next Tuesday, or talk to you next Tuesday. Yes, sir.